wants to jump. 1,000 cars. Sir, you have a 1,000 cars. I don't think I'd attempt to try this stunt. Or we, we owe this horsepower to Uncle Sam. <laughs> Too many cars. Car. You know, roses would be... Uh... Like, I put my beer belly on it. Yeah. And you can't immediately tell somebody how many cars you have. You'll really give those uppity yuppies something to think about. Stay on the bar. Don't go yeah. off the bar with your Bronco. 1980 Volvo horns, what's right? Like, me, me. Yeah, the man's coolant. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I thought it'd be small. It's for a small car. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's still an automatic transmission. They're never going to be light. It's definitely going to have to crash. Starting off with Brad buying another car. That's the West. <laughs> Internet. You know, is this a Nigerian oil print? Uh, I also wish you drove a tan Camry. Anyways, anyway, that, that's har- a horrible, very horrible podcast content. Very inside joke. Welcome to Auto Off Topic. How are you, Brad? Um, we'll get into that later. Or right away, because it's probably uh, a long story. I mean, I could tell it in 10 seconds or less. But All right. Well, I am in the middle of, because uh, it's the week before Thanksgiving, there's not really any car stuff going on. I'm, I'm begrudgingly getting ready to put snow tires on everything has it turned uh, temperature wise yeah pretty much it's like you know the morning was in the 20s yeah that's 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 snow tire temperature for sure and then by the afternoon it was the 50s and then by night it's back in the 40s so well anything under the 40 degrees is good for snow tires because snow tires aren't just for snow they're cold weather tires right so yeah. And um so it makes you know, sense. Tradition is the weekend of after Thanksgiving till April 1st. So if you had to put an exact timeline on it, that's probably right. The good news is though is that you do have a couple of other cars, so if there was a nice day and it hasn't snowed and it hasn't salted, you could take a car out with nice tires on it. It's like one of those random 65 degree late November days because it happens from time to time. Yeah. So there's been years when I lived in New England that I drove a classic car sometime in December. So they're not, yeah. not always doom and gloom. But yeah, the new Zenuses I got uh, for track days, those are inside already. So, you know, the, G20 is sitting on the other wheels that have the Azenuses on it, but those tires have already they've basically been shot. cycled out anyways. Yeah. So they have tread on them, but they're not for track days anymore. So right. I actually, if you, I guess the problem with them is there's water in the tread compound that can freeze. That's interesting. Um, And that's like, it's not so bad if they're just like sitting and not moving, but when you're rolling on them, that's when they can really be wrecked, I guess. I that's an that's odd thing. I've not heard that, but I don't not believe it. It's just strange. I've never heard it. Well, you're not supposed to use them in low temps. so Right. And that's just any summer tire. You're not supposed to use them in low temperatures because they don't grip. You know, there's, there's no there's that no secret too. to why like race car drivers warm their tires up because race car tires work better when they're warm. So, yeah. 
You oh, need, uh, you need uh, probably run better lap times on a snow tire in the winter time than you would a race tire on a cold track. So. Yeah. Oh, the only thing I did, uh, it was a decently nice day last Friday. Uh, it was observed at my company for Veterans Day, so I had it off. So I took the talent out, and I got a sticker on it finally because I had nice. a chance to. Just in time to put it away for the year. Yeah, but uh, I did it. And everything's inspected, so I don't have to worry about it. Good. One less thing to worry about come springtime. Yeah, it's ready to go. I can just use it. You can just take it out and use it. Yep. So that's good. So speaking of holidays, I don't I don't think we should we should let the podcast go without recognizing that we're recording on Steve Irwin Day. Oh. This is I didn't really I didn't realize it was Steve Irwin Day. It is. It is. I, I don't know why. I just saw that, so I thought it would be important because it's so correlated to bring that up. Maybe, so. maybe it's his birthday. Um, my guess is it's either his birthday or the day he died. I don't know which yeah. one it is. Yeah. <laughs> either a good but guess. I I couldn't avoid it earlier, and I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, we got to mention that because it's it's an important day. He's a an, an important celebrity in the uh, in in the world of automobiles, of course." Yes. Not at all. Not at all. But, nope. Yeah. Not at all. Um, let's see. It is his birthday. Okay. Nope. I lied. It's the birthday of his favorite animal, a big tortoise named Harriet. Okay. So there you go. Important stuff. So we left off. <laughs> um, you were trying to pick a car to go to Radwood, I think. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. Successful choice. Made it all the way. There. Okay. Well, all right. So, Radwood was last Saturday in Long Beach. It was actually a new venue. It was at the port of Long Beach, uh, right, obviously, on the water as it's the port. Um, I had been prepping the 944 to go. I think we talked about doing the intake manifold gasket and then i realized that the wheel bearing on the right front wasn't correctly set or it was worn needs to be replaced so i was like you know what i probably shouldn't drive a few hundred miles on a bad wheel bearing so i instead said i'm gonna take the corolla then i decided i wasn't gonna take the corolla because it really still needs an alignment and it really still needs exhaust so i decided that i would hold off and instead of both of those vehicles, I would go ahead and bring the Eclipse because the Eclipse is always pretty much ready to go. No real issues. It just goes and goes and goes. Um, that'll be my choice. So Friday night, I got in the Eclipse. I met up with a friend of the podcast, Ron, in his Starion across town. And then we did our uh, Mitsubishi caravan all the way to Long Beach, California. So... Something about it, Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi, just it just feels right, right? That's like, that's our whole thing, you know? Yep. Mitsubishi apologists through and through. So everything went swimmingly. Uh, car drove awesome. Uh, anybody that listened every week will remember I just did, um, worked on the idle and wound up replacing the uh, ISC, the idle speed controller. Um, everything was working pretty good. Drove out there. 
returned like high 20 mile per gallon, like 27, 28 miles per gallon at 75, 80 the whole way. Uh, AC pumping nice and cool, like radio going. It was a, it was a pretty relaxing ride out there. I was pretty stoked on it. Um, got to our Airbnb, which is a whole nother thing. That place is wild. It was, uh, you know, how some Airbnbs look like the entire inside of Hobby Lobby threw up on them. Yeah. This one here looked like if there was a Hobby Lobby for Americanized Mexican food restaurants. Bright colors, sugar skulls, like everywhere. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, over, over the top, but super fun, super cool place. The reason we chose it was it had off-street parking for three cars and three bedrooms. So it's actually a pretty sweet spot for long beach events because it wound up costing less than hotels per person and having yeah. secure parking in Long Beach and like you go to events in Long Beach is pretty good. So kind of have to keep that in mind for JCCS next year, I think. Um, but anyway, made it there. All was well. Uh, the next morning, got up to go to the show. It was about a 20 minute drive from the Airbnb to the show. Um, did the morning cleaning of the car. I didn't do any like heavy actual like car wash cleaning. I just kind of wiped it down on the driveway because it was fairly clean. Shined it up with some, what do you call it? Spray and shine kind of stuff. Um, drove the car all the way to the port of Long Beach. So driving to the port of Long Beach, car ran great. We get to the show. We drive past the entrance because you have to, to go to like a U-turn to turn around to get in line to come in. Ron makes the U-turn in his Starion. I made the U-turn in the Eclipse. And as I accelerated through first gear, um, it uh, stumbled. And then I heard flap, 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 the sound of a belt breaking. And I was like, oh, that's annoying, but no big deal. I'll just pull over and I'll check it. And I'm sure I can, there's an auto zone down the street. I'm sure I can get a belt, slap by together, and uh, be on the road end of the day. I did bring tools with me to make sure I had stuff to fix it. So, uh, And then as I'm pulling over, I noticed the oil light came on too. I was like, huh, that's strange. So I shut it down immediately and coasted to a stop. So I opened the hood. And the drive belt was completely in place and I went huh that's not good so I got back in the car and I said well I'll try to start it and to see if it was some weird stumble and I went to start it and it did that you know typical fast spinning no compression and I went well I guess that means I blew a time belt so I took out the tools that I brought in case I had any issues and I took the timing cover off and sure enough the timing belt was snapped so weird yeah uh i don't understand i I did some math from the kilometers that are on the car now to when i got it and it's about twenty-five thousand miles it equals out to so just about four years and twenty-five thousand miles is well within the service time of that timing belt um they're what sixty thousand miles or ten years. You start to check it and be concerned by it. So yeah, I am not sure. The belt looks good, other than where it obviously doesn't. 
It has totally like the pliability of it is good. There's no dry rot. There's no cracks. There's no like gouging anywhere. It's just snapped in one spot, and there's a worn out spot right where it snapped. Um, was the probably from whatever snapped belt replaced? It was. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you go back to when I purchased the car, a previous owner is a friend of mine, and he did the timing belt, water pump, and balance belt before I picked it up because we did not know when it was last done. And I picked it up in Tennessee and drove it to Massachusetts and then to Phoenix. So the one thing we wanted to be sure of was that it had a good timing belt. So again, that was 25,000 miles ago, four years ago, well within the service interval. Um, it was a Gates timing belt. It wasn't like a, I don't know, some weird off brand. I mean, I guess there's always the, how long was the timing belt on a shelf somewhere, but also... It's totally pliable and nice. It's not a beat up timing belt. So I don't know. Have you ever seen one fail before it's supposed to on its own? No. Yeah, that's my concern. Not unless the balance belt let go. But yeah, but the balance belt's on the same timing interval, right? I, I think the t- the balance belt is the reason the timing belt is only sixty thousand miles because you want to check that ti- that balance belt every time. So it is the same interval, but yeah. Um, if they throw the belt, it's thinner and smaller, so they can wear out. And if those wear out, they basically throw themselves into the other timing belt and throw it off. Oh, of course. But and maybe that's what happened. But I, I haven't had a chance to dig it, dig down into it too far yet, because you know it's, it's a couple of days ago. <laughs> um, it's weird. It didn't. Uh, I mean. Sometimes you should do the pulleys, but they weren't noisy. Like the the car wasn't noisy when it was running. It was super quiet. No, car ran car ran pretty good. Right before I made that U turn where the belt did come off, it made a weird little like vibrating kind of noise. Um, but it went away. Like it was just a quick little like, and then stopped. And I was like, oh, that was weird. I got to check into that and see what that was. And then I just drove away like normal and the belt snapped. So maybe that was the balance belt letting go. And then when I accelerated away, it tangled itself up in the timing belt. And yeah, I don't know. And just snapped the belt. But I mean, I, I maybe I wouldn't have noticed because if the balance belt comes off, for those that don't know DSMs or 4G63s, the balance belt drives the oil pump. So if yes. the oil pump stops spinning then your oil light will come on, which was my yeah. first indicator when I turned uh, and I pulled over that the oil light But that usually, on. that will also come on if the car stalls. Usually, yeah. And the ignition's on. But I also, what I'm saying is if that balance shaft belt came off prior to the belt breaking, it would have illuminated the oil light because the oil pressure would go down to zero pretty much instantaneously if that oil pump stopped spinning but it may have done that and i didn't notice because i was literally waiting in like a a queue to make a u-turn into traffic so my eyes weren't focused on the gauge cluster i was looking down the street to like make sure i didn't get t-boned so sorry it's not uh it's not the belt doesn't drive the pump it's driven off the pump sure because that's why you can delete the 
the belt. So, but still, oh, okay. So yeah, so it wouldn't, yeah, you're right. I had that backwards. So the balance belt is driven by the oil pumps. The oil pump's not driven by that then. No. You're right. Now that I'm thinking oil pump is, is uh, time belt gear, driven. It's, so it's, it's gear driven, the belt, right? The time, time belt drives the crank gear and the crank gear drives the gear into the oil pump, right? No, uh, it's driven by the time belt. Oh, okay. Um, so when that broke, it um, that's why it stopped spinning. Hmm. So a timing belt stopped spinning. So yes, yeah, so if the, if the balance belt broke, it wouldn't have stopped the oil pump. You're right. Now I'm, I'm, my brain is, I was not thinking of that properly, but you're, you're, that is correct. It is driven by, the, it's been a long time since I've been inside a 4G6 read. Now I forget, but now, now that I'm picturing it properly, I think you're right. You're all, you're definitely right. So, okay. Anyway, regardless, it's borked and uh, it no longer runs. And I'm a little sad about it. So she turned into a sad boy car like those Miata guys. Um, yeah, so that was Saturday. I was maybe 100 feet from the entrance to Redwood. Almost made it. Almost made it. Missed it by that much. Thankfully, we know plenty of people who are attendees of Redwood. Uh, friends and acquaintances and all of the above. So there was no shortage of people to help push. So we did push it into the show. So it was um, on display. Not before security at the gate was like, why are you pushing this broken car into the show? And I was like, well, I have a ticket, so it's fine. And they're like, well, we got to find out what to do. And I was like, just let me push it in. And they're like, well, we got to figure it out. I was like, just call Art, please. <laughs> so they did. And then Art was like, obviously, push it in. Um where else are we going to leave it? Right. Well, that's what the security guy wanted me to do. So push into the show. Um, it was actually pretty funny because where we pushed it was kind of right front and center. And we were waiting for like the rest of the show to fill up before we moved it. But you know how things go and time goes by. And the way Radwood was set up this time, there was two areas of outdoor display and one area of indoor display. And when you walked out of the outdoor display, sorry, from the indoor display to the outdoor display, the first thing you could prominently see was my Eclipse sitting there, front and center, blocking the entire section of 944s. Um, which made me a little happy because I don't like when cars are parked altogether. In fact, uh, Ron was like, do not move your car under any circumstance. You have to leave it there all day to ruin every picture opportunity for the cars that all parked together. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about that, but um, I will say that uh, for those of us in the Discord who know about the hatred of hoods being up at car shows, um, I was peer pressured and gilded into leaving my hood up the entire show uh, with the timing belt um, kind of laid over the fender for effect. So I did. I did that. Thankfully, I just completely detailed under the hood of the car. So while it's broken, it looks real sharp. Gorgeous. Yep. Uh, so it was uh, certainly a conversation piece during the day. Um, anytime I was near it and anybody knew it was mine, they'd come over and start asking, you know, what happened? Yada, yada. One guy's like, did this just happen? I'm like, yeah, that's why it's here, man. <laughs> Didn't drag <laughs> it from Arizona broken. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it broke literally outside. So, 
Anyway, so that's where that's where that lays. So obviously, uh, for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with geography, Long Beach is uh, not close to Phoenix. So no, it's probably it's give or take hours, four hundred miles. So now I'm a little bit panicked on Saturday morning at this car event because I'm um, give or take four hundred miles from home uh, with a car that. You can't just slap a belt on and drive it back home because, as you're aware, and most people are aware, uh, the 4G63 is an interference engine. So when a belt snaps, 99.99 infinite nines percent of the time, you also bend valves. So oh, yeah, it's not just a case of just slapping a belt on and calling it a day like it was an eight-valve Volkswagen, you know? So unfortunately... Um, I had to think of a way to get the car home. That wouldn't cost me a million dollars. Or yeah. leave the car in Long Beach somewhere with a trusted person and uh, just kind of suck it up and pay somebody to fix it. Those are the two options. There were no other options, right? So a tow is out of the question because a tow for 400 miles is thousands of dollars. I might as well just leave it there and have somebody fix it for thousands of dollars. Uh, U-Haul was the next option, but with the one-way fees and the mileage, it would have been almost a thousand dollars in just U-Haul fees, not counting fuel. And the U-Haul trucks are all gasoline and gasoline trucks pulling a trailer figure what, maybe eight miles per gallon, yeah, 400 miles and California gas is what, $5 and 50 cents a gallon. So that would have been probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 1500 to $2,000 worth of stuff. I was like, well, that's not ideal. So thankfully, I mean, I've sang her praises on this show enough, but Naomi did not come with me to this event. And the reason she didn't come was because she, it was like her only weekend to not do anything. Cut your time belt? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's the joke that I was mad she didn't come with me. So I cut the timing belt so she come save me. Um, but anyways, she did not want to do anything this particular weekend because she's been burning the candle at both ends, basically. Yeah, like jokes running on around, her. Yeah, running around doing stuff. Uh, she had a couple of training rides for her big bicycle ride next weekend in Tucson and was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay home, do some training rides, just like relax on the couch. You go do your thing and uh, we'll see when you get back. So thankfully, she wasn't with me because we decided the best plan of attack was to use her brother's truck. He has the Ram 2500 diesel that I previously used to gather the 81 Cressida in the desert when I bought it. Uh, And because the Eclipse is a front-wheel drive car, we used a U-Haul tow dolly because it gets better fuel mileage towing that than towing a full car trailer, and it costs less. So we didn't have to pay for a truck. A U-Haul tow dolly for a day is like, $39.99. And we just uh, made it work. So she came out. She left at like 3 a.m. from Phoenix. Was in Long Beach sometime around 9. We were all done, loaded up at the port of Long Beach. uh, Probably quarter of 10 or so. Uh, Oh, I could probably tell that part of the story. The next part was trying to decide where to leave my car for the night broken. So we were at the port of Long Beach, which 
is an active shipping port. Yep. So I had to get special permission from the government to leave Homeland my security to, to Homeland security to leave the eclipse in a secure facility overnight and then come back the next day to, to, to pick it up. So basically I have government clearance now for the eclipse. So it's pretty, it's pretty sweet stuff. Um, it sounds more fun to say it. I just had to call the head of security and ask him if it was okay. And he was like, that's fine. Um, a neat kind of fact, though, the, the facility that they used, the reason that they could use it was because it's out of season for what its use is. They bring any produce from South of America to this particular building, and then it sits in giant pallets, and these plastic like sheets come down and enclose them in little rooms while they spray them with whatever they have to spray them with to decontaminate them from foreign entities coming into the States. So we're in a giant decontamination room is basically what Radwood was held in. So hmm. I'm sure it didn't help my, uh, my gluten allergy living in the world of pesticides there, but you know, whatever. So yeah, that's where the car stood, stood overnight. So the guy was pretty cool. Um, they were coming back the next day to do some cleanup from Radwood stuff anyway. Uh, like the mobile one guys were there breaking down the mobile one booth and, there was most of it actually in the art from Radwood was there the second day when I went back. So there was, there was some activity on Sunday there anyway, so it worked out, but we get the whole thing up, get the whole thing loaded up. I get in the truck to drive it home because I'm not going to make the you know, drive both ways. Right. And as we're driving towards the end of the parking lot, I hit the brakes for the first time. And I'm like, this thing doesn't stop very well. She's like, what? I was like, it's really hard to stop this. And it doesn't sound good. And she's like, it was fine the whole way here. And I'm like, yeah, but now with the added, you know, 3,500 pounds of car and tow dolly on the back, it's, uh, it doesn't, it's very hard to stop. And then we went out in the main road and I hit the brakes again from like 35 miles an hour. And it was really difficult to stop. Like white knuckle on the, on the wheel. Like I could feel oh, the fun. steering wheel like shaking and it's not stopping. And I'm like, man, this is, this is sketchy. Um, thankfully modern consumer grade diesel trucks have what is essentially a Jake brake. They have an exhaust brake built in. So I was able to turn on the exhaust brake and that helped a little bit with my stopping. Um, but I pretty much white knuckled it all the way till we got to the 10 because it just, it was not confidence inspiring, especially driving in the city around Long Beach and then driving on those windy tight highways like the 91 and I think whatever the other road is to get back to the 10. Um, it was super sketchy. So I drove very gingerly and I gave myself way more stopping space than I normally do and made it to the 10. And then, of course, the towing speed limit in California for anything with more than two axles is 55. So there I wasn't going to go any faster than that anyway because it felt sketchy. So I, I missed, did uh, the, the 10 exploding. So, yeah, we were south of that. So we were good. That happened in like L.A. We were in Long Beach. We were there at the same time. We would have been caught up in that disaster, but we were below it. So it's cool. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did make it home. Um, we just kind of took our time, 
we knew it was going to be a long time. So like we actually stopped and had a proper lunch and moved on from there. Just like, just kind of right lane, relaxed, didn't pass anybody. Everybody passed us, made it home, unloaded the car here at, uh, at my house here. And then we were going to return the truck back to her brother because the next day was Monday and we both had to work. So, and her Maverick was at her brother's house. So we brought the truck back to her brother, brought the Maverick back home, um, told her brother like, hey man, something's going on with these brakes. Um, I don't know if it is grinding like metal on metal or something, but this truck doesn't stop very well. And he's like, huh, I wouldn't, I haven't, I haven't noticed. So he doesn't drive the truck a lot because he drives an 18 wheeler. So the truck sits a lot. Um, he's like, well, I'll get, I'll get it checked out tomorrow morning. He's like, I got some errands to run in town. He lives out in the desert. He's like, so actually last time I just had a brake job done on it. And they gave me, you know, a lifetime warranty on pads and rotors. And I was like, okay. So definitely get it checked out. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I'll get it checked out. So we get home. Um, the dolly is still here. The plan is to hook it up to the the Maverick and bring it back to the U-Haul place because we actually rented it with the Maverick. Um, surprisingly, they didn't ask us what we were towing or what we we're towing because huh. that would definitely have been over the weight limit of the Maverick, but the empty dolly was not. So um, fun fact, we lost about three miles per gallon with towing the U-Haul, empty U-Haul thing with the Maverick. Hmm. Um, the... Where was I going with this? So the next morning, I get a call from Chad, Naomi's brother, and he's like, hey man, you're right. This thing uh, doesn't feel right. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So then uh, he calls back a few minutes later, and he's like, well, I went to the bank first, and I was backing into a spot. He's like, and the car stopped super hard. Like, I thought I put the trailer hitch into the wall behind me. Like, it hit so hard. So I got out and I looked and the trailer hitch was a you know, couple feet from the wall still. That's weird. It didn't hit anything. Why did the thing stop? It's not new enough to have, you know, like a, a cross traffic sensor or anything that would have gone off. So he put it in gear to drive forward and the truck wouldn't move. Hmm. So he uh, gave it a little more a little more throttle. And he spit the right front inner pad out of the truck and onto the ground, and the truck lurched forward. And he heard the thing like dang, like dinging around. He's like, "That's not good." Got out and looked and saw his pad on the ground, um, basically just the backing plate of the pad on the ground. Nothing else was left. So I don't know where it was hung up in there, or what happened, but he did get the car towed from there to the brake place. And sent me a picture of the caliper. And it's a two-piston caliper. And the pistons themselves were worn down. So, absolute insanity. I don't even know where the pad was sitting. Because obviously the pistons were rubbing on something that was moving. Um, yeah. Completely destroyed. Paid for the whole pad. He used the whole pad. He did, Yeah, one of the two anyway. Um, so yeah, he was like, well, I guess I need brakes. So we were kind of sitting there doing some math, trying to figure out what 
the best cost option would be, whether it be just to have it done where it's at, uh, or buy all the parts and have it towed home and do it ourselves. Which, you know, hey, listen, I used the truck. He didn't charge me to use the truck. I don't think I broke the truck. I think that what probably happened was the caliper has been stuck for a while. And driving around his little neighborhood, nobody noticed. And then when Naomi drove it all the way to California, it probably wore most of the way through. And then when we put the trailer on the back and put the car on the trailer, well, it really uh, exacerbated the problem. Well, if it was hung up, the thing's a diesel Ram 2500. You right. wouldn't even notice it. Never even notice it until it wore out. Yeah. <laughs> no, because it's like, so, it's got so much torque and power. It's like, whatever. Yeah. So... <laughs> And then, you know, your brain goes to, like, how could a caliper seize in Arizona? Like, doesn't get driven in the snow and the salt. But he does use the thing on sand a lot because he tows his side-by-side to the dunes. And I'm sure sand isn't good for that kind of stuff either. So, you know, if sand gets up inside things and then it sits for a while, sand's going to hold moisture. And you're going to wind up with the same kind of deal you get with salt and sand back east, right? Maybe one thought. So Yeah, I guess. Anyway. No idea. Especially um, on the front. The front is so weird because it gets used the most. Like, I, I would expect a rear. Yeah. Because they don't do as much work. Right. But yeah, I don't know. But the thing, the thing does sit a lot, too, which is, you know, when cars sit anywhere, they develop problems. So, um, yeah. So, actually, we had a place that he went to. It's called Brake Masters. Um. They are just that. They're specifically a brake store. That's pretty much their main gig. Um, They did one new caliper, and they did four rotors and pads all around for like $700. So what place gave them the lifetime warranty? Brake Masters. Oh. Yeah, they they warrantied the pads. Okay, okay. So, so last time he went there, they cut his rotors, right? And he did did new did new pads all around. So they had a warranty on his pads for a lifetime warranty. Oh, so he went back to them because they weren't too far from where the truck was broken, and he had a warranty with them anyway. Even though he didn't think they would honor the warranty because the caliper was stuck, um, and they did honor the warranty, but they said, you know, last time you were here, we cut your rotors, and this rotor is absolutely trashed, and the other ones are oh, like. Yeah. There, it's been 40,000 miles or 50, 55,000 miles since he was last there. And the other ones are like oh. borderline, borderline trashed. Um, and well, they're like, well, we'll do four new rotors, new pads all around because the pads are free. And we have this caliper we can have, you know, within a couple hours and do the whole job. It was like 700 bucks. So hold on. The, the brakes were like 50,000 miles old? 50, five, zero then the pads were probably already pretty thin to begin with. Uh, no, they were decent. They were decent. They weren't terrible bad. They had, they still had life in them. The The inside pad was the only one that was bad, the one that was more stuck. The outside pad hmm. still had, I don't know, six or seven millimeters. It wasn't, it wasn't anything to like be emergency status about. Like we, we looked and checked through the wheels earlier on this whole thing to kind of see what was going on. But the pads all look good all around on the outside pad anyway. But anyway, so I, I was looking at prices of what it would cost to buy the parts all on Rock Auto and do it. And there's that same company that you were 
that you guys did when you had your last job that we did the brake job on my Silverado with that does yeah. like the whole brake kits. They offer those at yeah. Rock Auto. So I was going to do one of those for the front and then do rotors and pads in the back. But it was almost the same exact amount of money just in parts. So it was like, yeah, we'll just have them do it for like $100 extra because then, A, we're not wasting our time. and it's warranted. It's warranted and we still have to tow the car back to your house. So that would probably be a couple hundred bucks from where it was anyway. So it actually wound up being cheaper just to have them do it than have us fix it. So, so truck's fixed. Car's not fixed. The truck's fixed. So, but talk about an adventure, and it was a, uh, it was a long one. We didn't get back, we didn't get back that night from the whole thing, and then dropping off the truck till probably right around midnight. So, it was a, uh, it was a long one, and then Monday was miserable, obviously. <laughs> Because it was a it was an emotional roller coaster of a weekend, and then the actual just amount of time out and about on Sunday was just it was a lot. So didn't get a ton done Monday. Uh, Tuesday night, I did manage to push the car into the driveway. Um, when I got off work, my cross the street neighbor was home and he helped me give me a hand pushing the car into the driveway. I haven't dug too deep into tearing it down yet. Um, I did do all the simple things like I checked the dipstick to see if there were metal shavings in the oil. Didn't see anything. Checked the bottom of the oil cap. Didn't see anything. Pulled the spark plugs out because sometimes when you, you know, damage a piston, you'll see some damage in the bottom of the spark plug from pieces hitting it. Uh, there was nothing there. All four spark plugs looked in good shape. And I used my, um, poroscope tool, the one that, uh, plugs into the phone and turns the phone screen into the, into the screen to kind of look down into the pistons, uh, into the cylinders, I should say. And all four pistons are still there. My my last experience with timing belt on the Ford G63, one of the pistons turned into a powdery substance in the bottom of the pan. So at least all four of them are still there. The picture is not exactly clear enough to know if the if there's any damage on the pistons from the valves hitting them. Uh, it looks like there might be a little bit of contact, but I won't know until I pull the cylinder head off. Um, I've been getting some conflicting thoughts from a few different people of whether I should just slap a belt on it and see what happens, or if I should actually take it apart and and dig into it. But most of the people who have experience working on four G63s have said, no, take the cylinder head off. You're definitely going to need at least a couple of valves. It never doesn't do damage, especially if you weren't at like... 600 rpm which i wasn't i was at like 4500 or so um so i think i'm gonna go with the the mitsubishi uh 4g63 people and take it apart and just do it right it makes sense the entire effort of doing a belt just to see if it's gonna fix it seems silly to me so that's uh, it's going to be done the right way. I mean, the car deserves to be done the right way. It's treated me pretty well. Um, I'm sure some people will remember that I technically sold the car. Uh, I hadn't collected any money yet, but I had sold the car, and it was just kind of like this is going to be his last hurrah trip before it went. Um, I don't know if the car was like, "You're going to sell me? Pfft, 
I don't think so. Or what? But that's where it went down. So at this point in time, the car is no longer for sale. Because by the time I'm done putting it together, I'll be into it upside down. And I might as well just hold on to it. So I have a couple of back of my head thoughts of what's going to happen next. Um, it's a non-turbo car. Turbo cars have oil squirters, I think, in the pistons, right, Andrew? So It's in the block, yeah. In the, yeah, in the block, onto the pistons. Um, non-turbo cars don't have that. So if the damage is so detrimental that it needs like a bottom-end rebuild, maybe it's time to just find a turboed parts car and rebuild an actual turbo engine and use all the good fun turbo parts and just build a front drive turbo car. Cause at this point, if I got to rebuild it anyway, why not do that? <laughs> right. Or if it doesn't have any bottom end damage, then just put it back together as is. So I'm not sure yet. It all depends on how bad it is and what I'm going to do. So I think that if I have to do a full engine rebuild, like bottom end as well, it actually makes more sense to do that. Find a turbo parts car and use all the turbo parts. Because I think at the end of the day, if I do that swap and I spend the money, the car would retain some of that value. Whereas I rebuild the car as a non-turbo, it doesn't gain any value either. So I'm even way more upside down. And I don't think the car deserves to just be like junked. Like it, it should be, it should be repaired. So I don't know. Those kind of are my thought processes, Andrew. What do you think? Good, uh, bad, I mean, I'd, I'd probably idea. just throw it on it and fix it. Well, yeah, if I can get away with just throwing a head on it and fixing it, great. But if I take it apart and the pistons are all smashed, then it's going to be a different story, right? Yeah. If I got to pull... What I'm saying is if I have to pull the engine out because it needs bottom end repair, if it needs pistons or bent rod or something, I'm sure it doesn't have that. But if it needs pistons or something that requires pulling the engine out, I might as well just take it to the next step. And if I'm going to spend the money spend the money to put turbo parts in it, and then it's worth what a turbo car is worth, which is more than what that car is worth. Because then at the end of the day, I won't lose money on the car, whereas spending money to do a bottom end and keeping it NA, I would lose a ton of money. I'm trying to think of the best, not the best thing like for me. Not to put a head on it. You wouldn't lose that much money. I'm not putting a head on it, Andrew. What I'm saying is if the bottom end needs to be done. It's not worth converting to a turbo car, but... If the bottom end needs to be done? No. Too much work. Too much wiring. It's not... It's like you got to swap everything. It's not... Yeah, that's uh, why I would buy a parts car that was... Had everything in it. I guess. It's... It's just a thought process. Like, if worst case scenario it needs a bottom end, it's a financial disaster decision to build a bottom end and keep it non-turbo. Yeah, it also is to convert it to turbo, I think. I don't think it's worth it either. Oh, well, a non-turbo well, car is worth opinion. three or four grand tops, and a turbo car is I worth... I mean, I don't know why you're worried about value. I'm worried about value because my plan was to sell the car, 
So every dime I spend on the car, I'm going to lose if I still sell it. Well, then you then you just sell it as is. As is, it's worth nothing. What's a, what's a, what's a non-turbo shell worth? Five hundred bucks. So yeah, I don't, it's it's not worth um, it's not worth converting to turbo. But I can tell you that. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of the best way to get it's, out of this. Without... It's not. It's not as e- it's. Okay, like swaps are not just like do a swap and it works. It's not going to just work. No, I don't expect it to. A ton of problems that you have to figure out to make it work, to have it tuned, to make it run right. It's way more headache than what it's actually worth. So it's not just the money value. Like it's like the actual time that you invest in the turbo swapping it. Okay. That makes it not worth it in my opinion. Okay. Even just going stock everything like stock wiring harness, stock ECU, make it just stock and make it just work. Yeah. I don't think it's worth it. Okay. Well. All right. It's a thought process. I'm just dealing with it still I, anyway. I and think like it's I said. Probably, it's probably fine. It probably just needs valves. And you throw a head on it, and it's good to go. Yeah. If you want, maybe get an NA header for it. Well, yeah, well, we'll see. One one thing at a time. If, if it, uh, yeah. I've been I've been told to do cams and header before, so boy, we'll see. It's just it's 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 super frustrating because it's a project that I did not want to do, and now I have to do it. So just gets in the way of everything else. I had plans. This wasn't it, and I don't want to park it and get to it later because that turns into years. So I just want to get it fixed and get it you know get it done. Yeah, we'll see. Stay tuned to next week because by next week I'll know what's going on. Because between now and this weekend, I'll have time to pull the head off. So assess the damage. Hopefully, it doesn't need anything beyond a head. That's the hope. But in my experience, I've blown up a four G six three before, and uh, it had a lot more damage than just the head. So whatever, life goes on. In fact, the last time I blew one up, I didn't take it apart. I gave up on it and sold it to you for parts, and you took it apart, and all it needed was two valves. No, I sold that engine. Right, but it still had a damage to the valves, didn't it? I have no idea. I, I just sold it. it as is. Yeah. I thought it wound up just needing, like, a couple of valves. I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. I don't even remember who I sold it to. It doesn't matter. It was 20 years ago, so... Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I got a broken car again, and uh, yep. But I'm home. The good news yep. is it didn't break in the middle of the ten somewhere between here and Long Beach. Didn't break in the middle of the desert. Um, I mean, it could have broken here. It would have been more convenient than breaking in Long Beach, but it didn't. Um, and it didn't break in the middle of the desert where I died with no phone signal the truck didn't throw the the caliper out or the pad out in the same location somewhere along the 10 it made it all the way back yeah. home <laughs> so considering both vehicles made it to their destination of some sort i guess we'll call it a success um radwood was an excellent event 
probably one of my favorites I've been to. Location yeah, was cool. I, Cars were cool. I finally had a little FOMO over that because um, the LA one's like usually a really good one. So yeah, yeah. This is a whole new location on the water. Cool backdrops inside the building was cool. I uh, I had a lot of fun playing with different angles with the camera. Um, I think I got some pretty interesting, not typical car show shots. I think I did some some decent stuff with with uh, pictures this time. I'm pretty 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 proud of it. Pat myself on the back. Um, it's a good amount of Mitsubishi's there. There's several other DSMs. A solid amount of Mitsubishi's. There were three DSMs counting mine. Uh, our friend Tony Bird. Uh, Captain Tonius or Captain, yeah, Captain Tonius, right? On Instagram, yeah. Uh, he was there. There was another one there that uh, he goes by the Instagram name AK underscore DSM underscore ninety one, uh, AK for Alaska, where his plates are from, where he's from. Um, Carson, he lives in. Well, I won't say where he lives now because he has Alaska plates, but Alaska lives in Alaska. Um, <laughs> He was there. Uh, that car is super clean. It's a 91 black over the gray and dark gray, like confetti interior like ours were or yours is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a front drive automatic turbo, so it's not exactly what I'd want. But hey, it's a super clean DSM that still exists in 2023. So you take it any way you can, right? Um, yep. Super rad car. So that's there. Um Ron had his Starion, obviously, uh, which actually now is officially a Starion. He uh, finally sourced the correct logos for the back of the car. Uh, in the five or six years he's had it, it's never had logos on it. So everybody's always like, what kind of car is that? Now they can walk around the back and they can see that, hey, it's a Starion. Ah. Uh, there was a Pajero Evo that was there. Um which belongs to, he goes by the Instagram username M-T-E-O-V-R. So that's Michael. Um, I think he's a journalist. see his work some places. Um, I'd say where, but I don't know. But I know he's not a motor journalist. So yeah, his, his Padge Evo was there. Uh, other Mitsubishis. There was one Montero Sport that was actually pretty clean. I think that might have been it. Yeah, probably was it. But no, there's a lot of cool stuff. A lot of uh, Volkswagen content that I don't usually see at a West Coast Radwood. Volkswagen seemed to be a pretty hefty East Coast car, but there was a sweet Mark II Jetta Coupe with a GTI quad round front and a heck blend panel on the trunk um, on some super period correct. I think they're Momo Quasars in like a light blue color. Super cool car, small bumpers, exactly the way I would want one. Uh, there was a big bumper Jetta there as well. A B3 Passat with the same style of headlights like your G20 has. That was super cool. Um, I think there was two Strosec 911s, which are terrible looking, but they're certainly from a period. Uh, the raddest accessory went to a mid-80s Toyota Land Cruiser towing a mid-80s bow rider boat with a bunch of like period correct skis and a whole little like camping setup set up next to it that had like the 
vinyl webbed lawn chairs and everything. It was definitely straight out of 1986. It was awesome. It wasn't like over the top at all. It was like exactly what you would have seen in a campground in 1986. Um, yeah, there was some there was some really cool stuff there. Uh, tons of people, so, tons of cars. I saw pictures of a lot of Volvos. There was a good amount of Volvos. Uh, there was the a blue wagon, blue with the wagon, Mustang three spokes. Yeah, which is funny because they're Mustang base model Mustang three spokes. So SN95 chassis Mustang six cylinders yeah. came with a three spoke wheel with like like four or five cast lines into each spoke. And mm-hmm. he had those converted into like a 16 or a 17 inch deep dish. And it sounds like it should be terrible, but I liked it a lot. The car looked really good. I've seen those wheels used on several other cars. It actually works. It's really weird. Yeah, it's strange. It works really well. So yeah, that was definitely cool. Uh, my favorite car of the show was a Toyota. It was an early 80s Starlet. Uh, it was over the top build. Um, inside, outside, like plaid inserts in leather seats. Um, I think it was beams powered. It had fender mirrors that had like clear plastic nose cones on them with little flowers in them. And then it had a, a shift knob with the little flower in it to match those kind of tied all together. It had the Toyota color stripes down the side of the car. And then it had custom gauges that were the same color as the car. But also incorporated the Toyota stripes. Like just a stunning, stunning car. Very well done. Custom built bumpers to like tuck them in nice and close. Like it was, it was stuff you'd see guys spend the money doing on like a 32 Ford done to a Toyota Starlet. Um, just an absolute over the top build. I can't even, it's one of those cars words can't explain. It was just, it was a really really nice car um your infinity people were there there was a sweet m30 and like a super deep candy apple red on hres um my guess is it's the same car that we saw at jccs at anaheim a couple years back that was black because that was also an m30 that was super clean on hres but my guess is the same car only painted red now candy apple red so those are probably my my favorite cars of the show. That Starlet for sure. That M30 for sure. Um, and just everything. It was it was a good time. Uh, Model Citizen Diecast was there. Uh, Ren Patrick. So look him up on the internet. Model Citizen Diecast. Uh, he's also now dealing in Tarmac Works. Show. Yes. He's also now dealing in 164th scale Tarmac Works. So I, of course, had to drown some of my uh, snapped timing belt sorrows in diecast purchases so i did buy a couple of tarmac cars from him the nordica volvo race car and the pilot f40 race car so took a little sting off i guess but yeah it was it was a hell of a show um zero out of ten wouldn't recommend because my car died but if my car hadn't died it would have been 10 out of 10 so take that as you will i'm sure i'll be back next year and I guess I probably have to take the eclipse again, right? Like like a, a phoenix yeah, rising like from now. the ashes. Yeah, <laughs> I must make it there and back. Or will I have too too much PTSD as I pull out of the driveway? We'll see. But yeah, it was a good time. As always, recommend going to a Radford show if you haven't been. Very good time. And a huge, honestly, a huge shout out to, to Art and Warren. Um, 
both those guys made what could have been a really bad day for me kind of work out. So they were they were very accommodating, very helpful, and uh, obviously they understood my situation and uh, they helped out in any way they could. So big shout out to those guys. Uh, I did to circle back to my original story. Eventually, wind up moving my car from its spot, blocking the photo ops. Um, I did notice a couple of missed calls from Art, and I was like, "Uh oh, that probably means he's trying to get a hold of me because he wants me to move my car." And uh, I was right. So I did move it out of the the main the main area off to the side a little bit, but damage is already done, I'm sure. And no slight to the 944 people; they're a good crowd. Um, I just, I don't like when 15 of the same cars park together. I like them to be a little more spread out. So anyway, that's where we're at. It's a good time. Now, uh, cool. Listen, the things I do for the podcast, Andrew, I created a whole new project just to, just to keep things going. Content's content, man. That's what it's all about, right? That's why, that's why I did it. That's why I cut the belt. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, that's gonna come out. That'll be the the thirty for thirty on the auto off topic. I'm like, well, that there was that one scandal where Brad actually cut his own timing belt. Yeah, just to make a story. Trust and believe. If I were to have cut my own timing belt, there would have been a warranty involved, and it would have been closer to home. Because uh, I don't want to fix this car at all. In fact, it's pretty much the furthest thing from my brain. Because I had not to dig too deep into to mental health, but. Um, I've had some pretty big breakthroughs lately in my own personal mental health. And I was pretty, pretty amped and pretty heavily working on things and making things better. And this is a pretty big setback. So it's not, uh, it's not great. It's not great. So anyway, there we go. I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't think there's any special tools you need to get the, no, I should probably get that little it tool that goes out. between the cam gears to. Uh... Oh, I. Well, I got them. When you're ready to do it, we'll just mail it to you. Yeah. Or you can buy it. I mean, they're also cheap. It's cheap enough. Them. I should probably just have one. Um, People just 3D print them now, I think. My my future involves another 4G63, so I should probably just have the tool. I mean. There's that tool, and then there's a really long threaded uh, bolt that they also. Uh, sell in the set okay and it's so you can set the tension okay on the tensioner well i'll get both those things send me the links i'll order them because again i'm uh my my future plans after the the great purge which the eclipse was part of now it doesn't seem like it's going to be uh i'm going to involve another 4g63 car of one sort or another so oh there's also there's an adapter with the two pins because the tensioner pulley is eccentric, mm-hmm. and you like set it, yeah. That I remember too. Uh, so I'll come back to. It. It's been a while. So you've actually reminded me, uh, the Talon timing belt is twenty years old. Yeah, it's probably not ideal. Uh, well, it's a Kevlar timing belt, and you live in a climate where it's not super harsh on them either. But I should probably change it. I mean, it's only been like 35,000 miles, but it's been 20 years. You should at least look at it. I looked at it not that long ago when I did the... So Kevlar means it's Kevlar reinforced, right? Yeah, it's a... uh, I don't remember who made it now. 
it's blue. It's not the it's not the Gates blue one. Gates does sell a, a Kevlar one. Okay. But it was it was some other brand at the time that was doing blue. The HKS ones are purple, which you can buy those from STM. And apparently it's the same belt. I'd forgotten this. It's the same belt, timing belt and balance shaft belt from six bolt four G six threes all the way till Evo nines. Even the ones that spin the other direction? Yep. Oh, wow. All right. It looks like Greddy makes a Kevlar. HKS makes a Kevlar. Oh, it might have been a Greddy, and that's why it's blue. Gates makes a Kevlar. Yeah. Uh, An OEM is a Kevlar now, too, for the later ones. Oh, I don't know. It looks like a CT9A, which is an Evo. Is a factory Kevlar belt. Hmm. So, according to Extreme PSI, who is a company who I would uh, definitely trust their things on because they've been doing Mitsubishi's for a long time, it says uh, OEM 4263 CT9A MyVec timing belt Kevlar. So, huh. and right below that, it says related products timing belt tensioner tool. And timing belt tool cam gear position. Yeah. So, which are the Galant uh, is like 10 years old, and that's just an OEM one Mitsubishi regular. So, yeah, what's what's the shelf life on the Kevlar belts? Uh, I have no idea. Hmm. I think they're significantly stronger, but oh, I'm sure they are. I'm, I'm going to buy one. I mean, they're not a lot of money. In comparison. No, in the grand scheme of things, no. Um, I'll probably go with the HKS one this time around. It's purple. Yep. STM sells it. Yeah. Uh, it's 200 bucks. Well, my engine's worth a little more than $200, so... Yeah, listen, any a running engine is. Do they also make a Kevlar balance belt? Yes. Okay, then there you go. Yeah, it says the same belt. It fits. Yeah, one G, two G, GVR four, Evo one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> so yeah. that's literally nineteen ninety to two thousand and seven. Yeah, that's a good. Run. So that's why I'm like, I don't know about them sitting on the shelf because like they fit everything, so they should be moving the parts. Should be. But I don't know. Yeah. So the Kevlar balance belt from HKS is sixty two bucks. So you're two hundred and two hundred and sixty bucks into everything. Yeah. So but it's cheap insurance. It's not that bad to do in the car. I guess I'll I'll do well, that in the spring. According to this, you can you can uh use a firm to buy the balance shaft belt for only eleven dollars a month. So Okay. If you're struggling, yeah. Andrew, you can make it work. I'll pay later <laughs> for it. Um, yeah, no, I, listen, I, I don't know that I've ever actually done a timing belt before G63 by myself. I actually, I know I haven't, um, the previous four G63 experience I had, uh, was before I did any work on cars when I was a teenager and I paid somebody to do things. And then I had the Evo and I never had to replace it because I sold that car at 32,000 miles. And then I had the Gallant, which I spun a bearing on. And obviously we all know the story of that. It was sold before I put it back together. So 
I've never actually, I've, I've been present when you were doing a timing belt on one, but I've never actually done one. I'm sure it's not tremendously difficult. I've done timing belts on other cars, but. Yeah, I did the one in the Galant. Uh, my dad and I did it on the engine stand before we put the engine in. Which makes it That's way really easy to do yeah. it. Uh, and then uh, I did a common mistake when you're building a 4G63. There are two shorter oil pan bolts on the oil pump side, timing belt side. Right, so they don't touch the timing belt. Yes, by like millimeters. Yep. Uh, and if you, like basically, there's whatever 20 bolts that hold the oil pan on. They're all, say, I'm just guessing, let's say they're 12 millimeters. The two that near, go near the timing belt are like 10 millimeters. And if you use them in the wrong spot, you'll open up your timing belt and you'll have a groove on the outside edge of it. That is two millimeters deep. (laughs) Um, And I found that like 10,000 miles into the rebuild of that car. So I had to do a timing belt in the car. And was it tremendously tremendously difficult? It's not too bad. You got to pull the wheel off on that side because you got to go through the underneath. Uh, Then, of course, you got to pull the engine bracket and engine mount on that side because uh, you got to work around that. And then all the covers come off. Um, and then, yeah, you, it's just a matter of like, you have just enough room to work up against the fender. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look super simple, but also I know some pretty big dummies that have done it. So I'm sure I can handle it. It's no... Having done, I've done more Subaru timing belts. Actually, I would, I would take the four G six three or a Subaru one. Okay, good to know. Good to know, and I'm sure there's plenty of videos online I can watch ahead of time too before I go ahead and do it. So, oh yeah, and I have two good friends here in Phoenix who are very experienced with four G six three timing belts. So that will also help. The big thing is getting the. It's especially easier now with the lock tool for the cams. Yeah. So once you get the timing marks lined up, you might have to actually, if I remember right, because the springiness of the valves and the, you kind of have to like pull one of the cams just a little bit, either back or forward or whatever to line up the time marks. You slide that piece in and then they're locked. Yeah. And it's good. Like they won't work on it. Yeah. Well, I have a former guest of the show, Josh. Um, is a huge help for me out here because uh, he knows these things at the back of his hand. Uh, and our other friend, Keith Roper, who is Mr. Gallant VR4 down, out here in the Valley, knows these things pretty well. Um, Keith actually just did. He had to do a cylinder head two nights before the Prescott Forest Rally on his car. He did it, you know, by himself in an evening. So he... Uh, <laughs> He's, he works a mile from me, so he'll certainly be able to come by and help if needed. And he's already offered, so... And Josh has also offered to uh, help as much as possible um, with actual helping labor, parts sourcing, and um, machine shop sourcing. They have some shops they recommend, so... I'm uh, a traditionalist. I like leaving all the brackets on. I like using the balance shaft belt. No, I'm going to use the balance shaft belt. it helps with the transmission and shifting. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to use the balance shaft belt. The car is not a race car. There um, is. Oh, there, there is another way. Uh, there's an access hole on the side of the block that you have to take the bolt out of and put like a long pin 
uh, because you do have to time the battle shaft. Right. As a it's whole, a half, on the end of it, right? It's a half moon. Yep. Yep. That's what I thought. So, yeah, my my most recent experience with four two six threes is having all the parts in front of me from the galant, and we took it apart. So I do recognize yeah. the parts and the holes, but yeah, it's all coming back to me now. It's been yeah. a while. It's, I, I've been told a few times, actually, by Josh, that uh, one of the easy things on an NA car to make it super fun, because I guess the NA transmission is different. Um, yeah. It's geared very different. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's geared a lot, I guess, lower, so that acceleration is better without a turbo. And he said one of the things that uh, he did before on an NA car was just uh, like a four into two into one header or four into one header. And yep. a set of some kind of cam. I don't remember what. He's like, and the thing was super fun. <laughs> so maybe it was the turbo cams. Maybe it was turbo cams. I'll, I'll have to ask them have again. We'll more duration, maybe. Yeah, we'll, you we'll can put s- stock turbo cams in it. Yeah, we'll we'll see what winds up happening. Um, but I don't want to dig too deep into it. And like I said, my only thought was, if it needs a bottom end, how hard would it be to to get just a parts car and swap everything over if you have everything to swap over? But if you're saying it wouldn't be that simple, then maybe it's not. I don't think it would be. I think you'd, it'd just cause more pain. I think keep it as simple as possible because uh, to get it, just then just buy a turbo glot or an Evo or whatever you want after. I go back and forth all the time, Andrew. I don't know what I want. I want an Evo so bad, but also I could save a lot of money and have a glot that does almost the same thing. So we'll see. One or the other will happen. Whatever it is, I don't know. All right. Anyway, um, come join our Discord because we talk about all this stuff. Yeah. Um, you you already would have known. We uh, we started a there's a sub channel for like AI renders. Mm-hmm. A couple of people are really good with making AI renders of like cars and putting cars in funny situations. Yeah, and That's usually there's an AI render based on the episode. So. Yes. Actually, I have one I want to post. I'll probably do that tomorrow. So, yeah, I don't. Did we post the one of you? No, no, no. The carbon? I'm, I'm no, post we that didn't. One. I'll, I'll, I'll post that tomorrow. I have a whole caption ready for it. I forgot to post it. It's like <laughs> I got busy. Um, yeah. So that's a good place to hang out. And you can find me on Instagram, uh, Race Nanger, and I'm on Threads. Seems like it's going somewhere. Uh, and then Brad, where can they find you? They can find me at the same places. Uh, I'm on Instagram at tsiss three five zero, and I think my Threads name is the same. Also, it you can is. find us on Instagram, based. Instagram at. Uh, yep. Out off topic. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other one. Uh, scale Autocast. Scale Autocast. Excuse me. Oof. Definitely blew that. Scale Autocast. Get there. We're there. Yep. So, yeah, actually, those are on all the things. Those are on threads as well. So, all right, cool. That being said, as always, keep yours analog and uh, check those timing belts (laughs) and uh, aim for the roses.